Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this deep sales and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn sales navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn sales navigator and get a 60 day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60 day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. First thing is we've talked about this is like being diversified. So not having all of your money into one singular investment, whether that be I only have real estate or I only have traditional investments or I only have insurance. It'd be better to have different types of real estate, commercial and probably starting on SFR, single family residence first. And it's probably better to have inside your traditional investment, not just Microsoft or not just Facebook or not just Exxon Mobil, and to have multiple different investments so that you spread out your risk across different asset classes while increasing your rates of return over a long period of time. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Money Moves. We got all things stocks, real estate, and personal finance to help you on your wealth building journey. As always, my brother, Mr. Ryan Breedwell. Howdy, y'all. Co-host, and of course, always your host, hostess with the mostest, Mattie. We are always excited to jump on and talk what has transpired over the course of the last week, as well as what is going on in the very near future to help you stay with a pulse on the market to make the best investing decisions that align with your goals and when you are looking to achieve them by. If you enjoy anything that we share on the show, all we ask, no subscribes, no going and checking out millionairemindcast.com. It's all about reviews this year. We are 100% focused on getting organic reviews from anybody that enjoys the show, listens. All we ask, leave a review, share it with somebody. That is the best way to repay us. With that being said, we got a great episode for you and some interesting news that I've been seeing more and more comments and and hawkish sentiments around the Fed and the cuts. Waller, the Fed chair, said that economic data supports cuts for 2024 when he's kind of been somebody that's kind of been reserved and waiting to kind of stake, you know, where he's putting his flag at. Um, Now, when he said that, though bond yields were going up and equities were going down on that news. Is that a normal response on something of that sentiment? That's not the response that I expected. Uh, When I was watching it and I heard that, I expected yields to 
turned down on that news. Uh, gold did uh, go into the red on that. And I saw a Bitcoin flip on that news as well. I don't know why. I think maybe the, you know gold and Bitcoin are getting a little intertwined like they were with the NASDAQ uh, over the past couple of years. Um, but no, I was expecting the opposite. I would expect uh, bonds to rally, so yields to go down. And then I would expect equities to probably have some inflows to them. That's not what happened for the majority of the day, although we did have pretty good volume at the end of the day. Um, we were also coming off a holiday weekend. So typically, uh, Tuesdays are down days. Yeah. Um, typically, when we come off a holiday weekend, because Mondays are normally profit-taking days from the weekend and, and so forth. So tomorrow will really, really be a... Uh, and Wednesday is tomorrow. Uh, will really be more of an eye-opener on, okay, does this going to carry through my anticipation? And based on where I'm seeing the uh, equity markets open overseas is we'll probably be have, have a green day on Wednesday tomorrow. Um, maybe not a super big green day, but at least an up day. Nice. And kind of just touching base on Bitcoin, obviously the ETF being approved yeah. last week. We were right with our... In hindsight. Yeah, 2020 hindsight. We were like, are kind of like, uh, but I wonder, uh, hesitations, totally trending true. And exactly what we were talking about ended up happening. And for those that weren't listening last week, what, what was kind of the, the statement and what did we see play out over the last week? So there's spot ETFs, which means that the custodian actually has to hold Bitcoin to represent the dollar value coming in. But it also allows people to quickly sell very large blocks of them. And... and those transactions happen extremely quick now. Plus, custodians are now charging money for that. And now financial advisors can put that into our clients' portfolios. I haven't done that for any of my clients uh, yet. I'm not saying I will. not saying I won't. Um, but that allows people to speculate more. Versus when most time when people went through the trouble to buy on an exchange, it was to buy and hold. Yeah. To, to hodl, you know? Um, what we were speculating where it would spike up and then probably pull back and then we would start seeing huge inflows into Ethereum, that has still held true. And when the... Um, I think the winner of this whole ETF launch was... Was definitely Ethereum. Was ETH. Yeah, because the, the inflows to Ethereum have, ex- have, have ratcheted up quite um, significantly and the outflows to Bitcoin keep being slightly larger than the overall inflows. Like if you track from when the Bitcoin ETF launched, I think there's been almost $10 billion in inflows uh, to the ETF since then. But there has been more money out because the price is at a lower number than when the ETF launched. We think we were trading around 44 when the Bitcoin ETF launched. We're now trading around 41, 42 as of today. And then when we see rallies in the crypto space, Whereas I just checked the market, I think Bitcoin was up one and a quarter percent. Ethereum up is, is up 3.6. So not only is the market, it's moving back up, but the market as a whole is up more than Bitcoin is up. And so I think, I think, and I, I speculated on this just off a gut feeling, but that the ETF was a way for them to be, have a roundabout way of making it not in favor anymore and, and removing some of the steam from it. That is, that's starting to be more and more true. And I didn't know anything on that more than just a guess. But it didn't make sense. It's like, why are they, you know, why is Gary Gensel at the SEC still bad mouthing the ETF? And then they revealed for the six people that voted, he was one of the people that voted to approve it. Right. 
you have to just like use your noggin. It's not that hard to see when it's right in front of you. You just have to understand and know and, and be opening to see, open to see it. And so I, I think that that's what they did. I think that's what it's continued to do. Um, if there's a spot ETF for Ethereum, I don't think that's going to be very good for Ethereum. And I heard BlackRock is working on that right now. So um, time will always tell with these investments. Mm-hmm. But the more people that get into the crypto market and figure out it's not really anything spectacular, which, sorry for my crypto bros, it's not. <laughs> um, the technology behind it is, but being there is like, okay, great. I, I'm here. What's going on now? Well, nothing. It's going to. Yeah. People don't really want to be about that. And so they've, they've made it the equivalent of like SPACs, back when SPACs were mm. the craze. Or I, when the IPO market goes on fire, that becomes a, a short-term craze. It's removing steam from the engine of crypto, NFTs, what have you. And it's doing it right in front of people's face because it's a roundabout way. Mm. And so I think that's very been very powerful. That was a good power move by the uh, SEC to do that. Because um, I think people would have fought back and then they would have bought into Bitcoin more if said SEC said, oh no, you can't buy it. Well, they really don't have a way to stop it. It's really hard for them to stop that. So versus, oh no, you can buy it. You just have to buy it the way that we say. Yeah. Which I think the comfort level of most people will be that versus how do I get this wallet and store this and Correct. still feels unregulated on that side of the fence. But if I can get a little bit of that side of the fence and this safe little box over here, I think that'll be a good thing for the crypto market as a whole long, long term. But as we saw over the course of the last week, it, it really didn't have... Uh, pack as much of the punch that they were expecting it to. Vanguard, second largest asset manager in the world, completely Say, banned it on their platform. And then so others nine came trillion out beyond dollars. that too. There were many dozens. Smaller ones, but the one, I mean, Vanguard saying like, you're not even allowed to trade this. Yeah. We don't even want to have, we have want zero custody of crypto because, and I quote, uh, cryptocurrency, we believe that cryptocurrency is not a part of a diversified, long-term, successful portfolio, investment portfolio. That's and that's what they said. That, that was what Vanguard said. Yeah, and said, that just goes against our... It's just like Dave Ramsey, you can't pay for any of the stuff on his website with a credit card. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. They will accept a debit card. They will not accept a credit card. So they're just kind of... We practice low-fee, long-term index fund this investing. This is our culture. This is we're our going basket to keep, of products. Yeah, we're, we're not, not going to... from it. No. You know, we're founded on this. We've been successful on this. This is what people Which understand. Is fair enough. They're, they're back in their good But then value. you got people, like you said, right? BlackRock. You got people like Larry Fink, uh, CEO of BlackRock right now, who's kind of saying, hey, we, we think this is the beginning. We believe in this long-term. He put out an article this week with Forbes that basically said, hey, we believe this is just the beginning. ETFs are step one in the technological revolution in the financial markets, mm-hmm. um, which we've talked about, right? There being some long in the tooth, you know, stuff in the industry, yeah. how it's done, how it's used, how it's interacted with. Um, and tech, the technology, as you said, in the crypto space is world-class. Correct. Um, he said, Bitcoin and crypto's blockchain technology allows traditional assets to be tokenized on a public ledger, potentially making the transfer of anything from stocks, bonds, real estate, and alternative investments like art cheaper and easier. We have the technology to tokenize today. If you had a tokenized security, the moment you buy or sell an instrument, it's known. It's on a general ledger. That is all created together, which eliminates corruption, having a tokenized system. Right, yeah. which is it's, to a degree you'll never be able to get rid yeah. of it, but it gets rid of a lot of it. 
And then, you know, he also went on to say that he doesn't consider Bitcoin, Ethereum, and crypto as a new kind of currency, which that is a big part of what the crypto, you know, heads really want to establish, right? Yeah, this, you, it settles this in sovereign dollar. currency. Yeah, it settles uh, in way. dollars. It's worth dollars. It's not its own currency. So he said, you know, Ethereum and crypto and Bitcoin is not a new kind of currency, but as an asset class more similar to gold that acts as a safe haven in times of strife and protects its holders from geopolitical volatility, which sure aligns maybe. with a lot of the people that really are in that space, right? Yeah, the only problem is it has never been a safe haven during volatile times. It's always been one of the more volatile asset classes when volatility presents itself um so that that it's not i don't think it's going to be a safe haven i just think it's a it's a di- different area for people, for people to speculate with a portion of their portfolio so talking about people and diversifying their portfolio or maybe some of the tips that you might have for individuals investing in this challenging climate right now, right? Because it's not a, oh, we're in a full-on bull market. Oh, this is a bear market, batting down the hatches. It's kind of like, we're waiting for this thing to get going. It feels like it's just about to take off. What are some of the tips, strategies, and insights that you might have for whether it's new or existing investors navigating the market in 2024? Um First thing is we've talked about this is like being diversified. So not having all of your money into one singular investment, whether that be I only have real estate or I only have traditional investments or I only have insurance. It'd be better to have different types of real estate, you know, commercial and probably starting on uh, SFR, single family residence first. And it's probably better to have, um, inside your traditional investment, not just Microsoft or not just Facebook or not just ExxonMobil and to have multiple different investments so that you spread out your risk across different asset classes while increasing your rates of return over a long period of time. Um, Doing your research on what you're investing in. And we do a lot of that for our clients as the investment advisor. But I think this more pertains to uh, like on real estate side, um, being a part of the Wisevestor Academy, so you can educate yourself on how to research properties, how to properly analyze and maybe build a pro forma. Um, what are some things to look for or red flags? So doing your research on the asset classes like we do for our clients before we buy them, yep. so you can know what you're getting yourself into. Um, and I think probably... Once you have that done, then it's setting like a clear goal and path and, and maybe doing an x-ray like we always tell people and then building a financial plan, taking your investments and then translating them into a financial plan so you can know what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and why you're going to do it. And lastly, but not least, understanding that your side of the street, my side of the street, whatever you do when you set up a plan is a long-term yeah. goal. And that you need to commit to that process, be a part of that process to know that it's not a snap of the finger. It's not a slot machine. It's not a lotto ticket. It's going to take work. It's going to take strife. It's going to take doing the hard thing or doing the good thing when it's hard. Um, But that's why the pool, um, it's almost like professional athletes. The pool gets smaller and smaller and smaller. The higher you go up or the more successful you become in sports... 
because fewer and fewer and fewer people are willing to do what it takes to get to that level. Yeah. So, yes, ten per, about five percent of all U.S. five uh, percent of people in the United States are millionaires, but only about twenty percent of the people have over a hundred thousand dollars. That's crazy. So, like, yes, that's a lot of millionaires, but no, that's, that's actually a lot of people that aren't millionaires below it. Yeah. yeah. So, those are the four ish things that I would say are really important with that beginning of the year theme. And the nice thing about being here, if you're hearing this right now, you have two people, Matt and I, who can be those individuals for you, be it on your uh, traditional investments, your insurance, and then also being dangerous enough to know that having real estate is definitely the part of a holistic financial plan and definitely the way that you're more the most successful long-term. Yep, vice versa. We, uh, we pair well together when you've got two good quality plans being executed at a high level that when those two converge... Symbacy. It's very, very uh, fun to enjoy and, mm-hmm. and watch. And also, it's just... It's a very... It provides a swan effect for me, a sleep well at night. Because sometimes when commercial real estate or other investments are a little choppier, right? You have some diversification and some stability on the other side. Yeah. Vice versa, and a lot of times they do. The nice thing about equities and real estate is they do well together. Yeah, uh, generally they lead each other too, so they can be indicators for each other. So they 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 really do work very well as a joint asset class. You can at any time make an argument why one is better than the other, oh, or yeah. why, but ultimately both are best to have, rather than saying. I only have this because that's what I know or that's what I believe. Both are better because I know that and you can believe whatever you want, but we both know the data would support having both is the best option. 100%. I mean, I think we both know people that only have stock portfolios or only have real estate portfolios, but the people that have the most wealth and the most balanced wealth are the ones that have both. Yep. And really, and then layering in that businesses. component and businesses yep. is kind yep. of you know the... Uh, the other linchpins to that. But the ultra wealthy, they usually made their wealth in one of those verticals and found a way to diversify out of that core tree trunk into creating many various branches of yep. insulation, diversification, income streams. And that is the beauty of having two sides of the, the coin taken care of. Now, I've been seeing a trend a lot on Twitter and you know on finance, TikTok, and some of these individuals talking about dividends and living yeah. off of that dividend income. And mm. you and I have talked and specifically you have shared somewhat of an opposite strategy of that, which is reinvesting that dividend income. But I think there's a little bit of a misunderstanding or disconnect for people when they hear dividend, right? And ye- high yield, they think that's a great thing. Yeah, yeah. But but this arena, you really need to understand what this particular... We always talk about board games, right? Like my commercial real estate asset in a medical plaza is a board game of commercial real estate. But playing that game specifically to win in the medical game might be a little bit different than how I operate and manage my hotel assets. Yeah. So with your world, right? You have many of these different board games. We're going to get arena. back to some sympathy because I'm going to say some shit. You're going to be like, exactly. Well, and so as you were explaining this to me before, I'll be honest. I was like, okay, dividend investing, high yield. I get that. But like, what do you get at here? And the way you broke it down, I was like, holy shit, that makes 
total sense on my side of real estate investing, commercial real estate. And you explained it really well. And so for those that are looking at or thinking about you know, dividend investing and high yield investments like that, there's some... Uh, there should be an asterisk next to it that says, "Yeah, what know is your, this first. <laughs> yeah, the 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 for my real estate investors, so I can I'll, I'll fast forward to give you where we're at, just so I can bring you back into my world. It's the equivalent of, um, I'll say it in the funniest way I can. It's equivalent to somebody going on LoopNet and pulling a. Hey, there you go. You. I know. Paying attention. No shit. Uh, pulling a seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven cap." And saying, and pulling the attached Excel sheet pro forma, because those are real numbers. Mm, yeah, of course. Um, why would they lie? Always. Um, not checking them and saying, you know, I got, a, I got a nine cap. I'm going to buy this. Boom. And not understanding that there's more to the story than just the yield or the distribution percentage or the, or the cap rate in our example here. So I'll back it up. There's a trend right now that I'm seeing of people saying, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, a dividend investor, dividend investing to freedom. And I'm not here to preach against dividends. Quite the opposite. We I have a dividend portfolio. I call it a premium yield portfolio. I'm getting close to 10% from my clients that are in that portfolio style right now because they're not worried about their portfolio appreciating by a ton because you're going to give up appreciation for yield. Um, they just want a lot of money reinvested and to slowly cook that money up. So it's a different way to get their 13%. 3% annualized return, 10%. Dividend, that's a 13% total return. They're happy with that. That's a good low-risk portfolio. The problem I'm seeing is people presenting it in a way where, hey, I have a million dollars. I'm getting a 9% yield. So I'm going to get $90,000 a year of passive income. And then my dividends should increase um, every year which could be true and intends to be true for the quality companies you invest. The problem is what you sacrifice generally for getting those yields is you're going to pay a volatility or a beta, a higher beta cost for those yields. And I was showing you one very popular uh, yield max ETF strategy called... Um, it's essentially a call option strategy on Tesla stock. They have them for NVIDIA, they have them for Microsoft. And the higher the standard deviation, the more the stock moves, the higher the yield or the distribution rate is uh, on that stock. So we were looking at one that was... Or ETF, excuse me. So we were looking at one that was about 65%. That's a crazy amount of distribution rate on your dollar. But the problem is when I showed you the one-year return on that, that instrument was down 30%. In value. In value. So if you put $100 there, that $100 would be worth... We'll call it $70 now. Yes, you would have been paid dividends the whole way down. But you want something that if it's going through a trough like that to have an opportunity to come back up and it's still trending down when the market has gone back up versus I showed you an ETF that I buy for my clients a lot uh, through iShares called Dividend uh, Growth. It's up about 5% over the same period of time, but it only pays about a 2.5% yield. But when we look at the five-year average annualized rate of return on that ETF, it's 12.5%, meaning you've got a 12.5% compounding dividend rate. You put your money in, you're starting at 2.5%. But the longer you hold that, it's compounded up by 12.5% per year to pay you more and more and more by doing nothing 
but holding that assets. When we looked at that $10,000 put in there in 2016, with no additional investments, it's worth $25,000 today. And the dividend growth on it is average 2.5%. Yep. That is a lower yield. But savvy dividend investors understand that that's a better yield on costs than going for a 9, 10, 20, 30, 40% yield for something that has a standard deviation that's too high. Yeah. Maybe getting in and out of those things temporarily. But I was in something like that in 2000, uh, 2020, 2021. We were doing a lot of commodities. There's a lot of commodity strategy. I was doing an Invesco uh, commodities role strategy. 44% dividend yield. Did it pay it? Yes. Also had a 60% annualized rate of return. It was insane. 100% total return for my clients that held Crazy. that. But the following year, because people piled into it, it lost 26% and only paid a 13% dividend yield. They missed the train. Mm -hmm. But what were they doing? They're, un they're untrained yield investors chasing yield. Right. And that's one of the biggest red flags to me is when I see something saying, oh, it's paying, you know... 26%. How? And what's the cost of it paying that 26%? Yeah. Those are the things that people don't know how to ask those kind of questions or to analyze and dissect the risk, the reward that goes with a particular investment strategy or an, into a particular investment asset class, right? Because like the same thing on commercial real estate, if I told somebody that you know they were going to get a nine cap on a deal and they were going to pay a million bucks for it, and they were going to get a 9% return on their cash. And they were going to get that year over year. But in two years, the 9 cap that they bought was really an unstabilized asset. It had $500,000 in repairs. It had really bad leases tied to it. And so three or four of those tenants potentially end up leaving in 6 to 12 months. Now your income's cut in half and the value of the asset drastically drops. But I can still pay you that 9%. But your commercial real estate asset is going to be worth five hundred thousand now, not the million that you paid for it. But I yeah. can still get you that nine cap every year. Yeah, right. Gotta, it's, it's like it, that would be a different. They both, I got a commercial oh, center on. with a with a Costco and Safeway anchor versus I have a commercial center that's got a pain clinic and a cannabis sure right club <laughs> baked into it, and they're paying rent. They're they're, yeah, they're the massage studio. Yeah, right. massage studio opens at nine <laughs> p.m. So that those I the, I think that those are important things to highlight, right? Because that face value and sticker value of what a lot of people see. If you're an untrained eye or you don't have experience, it's dangerous in dissecting the the risks that come along with some of these sexy you know investments and how people can make them look at face value, but when you really peel back all yeah. the layers to the onion. It starts to make the the, the eyes water, right? Yep. And those are the things that we want you guys to avoid and at least to think about. I I would have never even thought about that, or because I'd seen and heard a little bit more of it. And then as you broke it down for me, that that's a big deal that can either cost somebody a lot of money or it can help point them in the right direction to something that might be a little bit more safe and aligned with their growth plan and how they maybe want to, if they're interested in that, right? How do they maybe layer that into their investment plan? Yeah. And I try to tell people, you know, for years I've been saying it on the show and we both do it. And I, I still will say to this day, the person that picked the 2.5% yield over the person that picked the 40% plus yield has more money today because they picked a safer, proven better avenue to do so versus saying, well, yeah, if this works out, 
I'll be the smartest person ever. There's just reasons that there's not huge swaths of institution money going to things like that. It's yeah. because it doesn't work. Mm. And you have to understand that. Just like the same reason, I'll say, I'll, I'll give one other easy correlation. Why don't casinos let professional gamblers or sharp players come into their casinos? Because they know that they're an advantage player. They know they're not going to allow that blackjack player, poker player, slot player to come in their casino because they figured it out. And so they're not going to allow them to take advantage of them. They should just have a sign on the door, honestly. A casino says only accepts losers. <laughs> so like, like on, your, on your ETFs that look at that, when I see them, that's the money that's flowing in there. Only accepts idiot investors because those are the and they, they there's the Bitcoin ETF paying one and a half percent to Grayscale to buy Bitcoin when you can do it for free. I don't know what we I mean I'm guilty. I've we've put it in our portfolio. I'm not saying that I'm some holy person, but to think that that's that that's going to move Bitcoin forward, come on. Yeah. Uh, so there's little things like that um, out there, and the only thing you have to realize is. Institutions take one step back and say, these fucking idiots. But if they're going to be idiots, they may as well be my idiots. And I'll bill them the whole time. <laughs> and that's what they're doing with yeah. these strategies and these Bitcoin ETFs and these yield max strategies. I'm not talking shit about the company yield max. Don't try to sue me. You won't win. I'm just saying that it's there's better options to doing the same thing. And you simply have to be open to saying... Okay, well, it's not a 40% yield. It's a 2.5% yield. And educating yourself why that could be better. Mm. Because once you peel back the onion, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's actually common sense. The data says it right there. Yeah. So, and if you guys have questions on these things specifically and how they pertain to your portfolio, x ray to 844-447-1555. I'm not going to be able to help you. I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> but this guy can. <laughs> so be sure to reach out to Ryan and his amazing team. What I can help you with is keeping a pulse on the real estate market. And we're not seeing too much relief in the real estate market in terms of housing prices and demand. Rates, of course, as we talked about, are going to be uh, projected to get cut. And Tip I think we'll start to see the engine start revving again. But that ain't going to mean that there's going to be more opportunity out there. It means there's going to be more competition out there. Mm -hmm. And I just don't see the single-family housing market slowing down for the foreseeable future. I really don't. Yeah. I definitely think that the uh, housing prices pulling back from where they were in their peak of October of 23 to where they are now is healthy. Um, we'll have a big day on Thursday because we have uh, building permits, housing starts. And I think on Friday, we have um, uh, pending or, or existing home sales. Yeah, existing, and home sales. existing And I, I bet you it is going to be bigger. I think they're only forecasting 3.4 million, 3.5 million. I wouldn't be shocked if it's uh, over 4.8, maybe even over 5 million. Mm. Because we had that, that spike down. Yep. Oh my lord! I mean, the house across the street from me is pending, and it was on the market for two weeks, and it was one point eight million. Give you an idea of where I'm resting my feet, um, and I cannot. I'm like close, <laughs> yeah, close for more than one point eight million. Yeah. Um, so it's the real estate market's still hot. I'm. That's why I'm saying when the affordability comes back into the play, because I still don't believe it's there. That person, if they do a 20% down, is going to be paying over $13,000 a month for a mortgage. Insane. Insane. 
when that same person can refi to a rate and get down to nine, say 4,000 bucks a month, or have the person that wants that house can't buy it, now they can. The, the person selling the house can say, well, now I can sell for 2.1 because that person will buy it because the payment's $2,000 less, even at 2.1. So yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be another good year for real estate. It's not going to be 2021, 2020, 2019. It's not going to be that. But it's going to be a great year to have a have some a, be a buyer and a seller. I think you're going to have you're going to be able to get your housing price as a seller, and I think you're going to be able to buy the house and afford it as a buyer. And I think the last twelve months with the affordability, that's still going to be baked into people's heads, so they're going to jump at five five and a half percent rates. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, those people that were waiting on the fence that were let me see what's going to happen because they've already tasted seven, they, so they're like, give it back to me. They saw what happened, yep. and 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 they're kicking themselves for it. Agreed. So if you're somebody that can afford to buy now. Housing and shelter is going to be a hot commodity for many decades to come. We're well undersupplied and it's going to be something that if you can get into now, I don't think you're going to regret it. That being said, we are seeing some distress mounting on the commercial real estate side. Yeah, Delinquency rates jumped to 6.5% of balances for loans backed by office properties and a 6.1% for lodging-backed loans. Delinquencies for loans backed by retail properties remained elevated from the onset of the pandemic, but they were overall unchanged during the quarter. Uh, Multifamily industrial properties were, I think, the lowest. Let's see here. We got 6.1% of balance of lodging loans were delinquent, which was up from 4.9%. 5% of retail balances were delinquent, which was flat from previous uh, quarters. Uh, 1.2 on multifamily balances, which is up from 0.9. And then 0.9 of the balance of industrial property loans were delinquent, which is up from 0.6. But we're definitely starting to see some of that distress with high interest rates, loans coming due, adjustable rate mortgages. We're entering in the beginning of phase one. I still think we're kind of in ground zero of it all, but we're getting into 2024 is going to be phase one of what is going to be a very problematic um, time for certain commercial real estate asset classes. Office space. I mean, mainly. office in itself is is, is a no-brainer, right? Yeah. But even then, we're starting to see some certain lodging assets face some challenges. And again, a lot of these challenges are from, I think, you know, shifting demographics and trends in the mm. economy. Yeah. But it's also... Uh, a symptom of really poor investment and financial structuring on deals that when you don't mitigate your risk and your downside along the way, you find yourself in this position. Yeah, shitty syndicators. And so the goal, you know, as a as an investor, right, is to feel confident and convicted in your investment strategy and your plan and how you're structuring a deal and you're putting it together and you're executing on that plan. But equally as important is underwriting and analyzing a worst case scenario. Mm. Because... The best thing to do. Exactly. Because if you feel good about that, should it happen, you at least are prepared and you don't feel like you're going to be caught with your pants down like many people are right now or going to be. And it's going to wipe out. I know, unfortunately, a handful of people in GoBundance, which is a high net worth, you know, investing mastermind group. And there's a good chunk of people that I would have, honestly, you would ask me three, four, five years ago, I would have never imagined some of them being in the the 
circumstances and positions that they're in today. And I'm talking like some people lose an entire portfolio, some people, you know, losing 50, 60, 70% of their net worth. And again, because they made bad bets and decisions that impacted the whole portfolio. And they didn't think about how that one potential domino, the worst case scenario happening in some of these decisions could knock down other dominoes in their portfolio. And that's a big deal, right? When you're up, you know, 10 to three in the World Cup game and you're practically secured the bag and the win. And then all of a sudden you start taking unnecessary shots on goal and putting yourself out of position and you throw all the skills and the, the, you know, the disciplines and the habits that you built to get yourself in that position so many people could have avoided that. And wealth building is no different. We both know people who have had massive come-ups, mm -hmm. but at the same time, they've had massive come-downs. And a lot of that could have been easily avoided. I think the uh, other way to say what you're saying too, and I do this to my clients all the time, is I tell them, why don't we just build in some assumptions where the air would be in your favor? Why don't we not assume the best case scenario? Yeah. Why don't we assume what we know very highly likely would be quantifiable? And then if that works, if these numbers pencil, we can probably do better than this and we can probably get more money than this right. should this at least happen. Versus let's not run it to the skin of our teeth. Which and is see what, what everybody was doing. Oh, the Correct. market's going to keep running. Rents are no. going to keep going up. Occupancy is going to keep going up. Average daily rates are going to keep going up. Oh, what's the... Uh, man, I almost feel like this is a Warren Buffett quote, but uh, when, does, when does sex feel the best? Right before it's done. <laughs> and so I think that's, um, that's... That's holds true... Sorry to be so vulgar, but that holds true with a lot of other asset classes. Agreed. I've said it before that people screaming recession last year was a big indicator that it wasn't going to happen. People continuing to scream recession this year is a big indicator that it's not going to happen. Because every time recessions happen, they happen because nobody knows they're going to happen. That's an indicator. When things... Everybody's like, oh no, it's close your eyes, buy whatever. You know, late 90s. Um, early 2000s, pre-financial uh, crisis. That's the type of environment where then you say, hmm, maybe it, is, maybe it is too easy right now. But when it's hard to make money like it was last year, when it's hard to find real estate deals, yeah. that is not the time to quiver and to say, oh, woe is me. That's when opportunities are out. Oh, yeah. Opportunities are, are taken advantage of and then legends are made. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network 
and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast. And trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's my first. 50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. Well, that's the whole reason why I launched the Wise Investor Collective Mastermind is because I know that this window of commercial investing opportunities is a window of time that does not come around very often in these economic cycles. Yep. And you know, I know that the people that lean in during these times, as challenging as they can be, are the ones that in five, 10 years look back in the rearview mirror and go, man, I'm glad I had two hands on the steering wheel and I drove with, you know, all my effort and might into that storm. And I'm on the other side with sunny skies. Two to three times in your investing career, well, I think in real estate and in the stock market, because again, they're very highly correlated with each other. Will you get those types of times? And we've had two of them in the last three years, yeah, since which is shocking. That normally does not happen. Yeah, um, you had to wait, wait almost a whole generation, two thousand eight to two thousand and twenty. Yes, that's, yeah, that's twelve years of of time before you had another opportunity. And are you going to wait another twelve years when you're in your mid forties or fifties? No, you have to take advantage of that and do the hard thing when it's. Hard, hard to do, but that's why you get the good result from it. Yeah, that's why we're doubling down right now. Amen. Um, that's why you know I'm building that network and that community. We talked about that being kind of a secret weapon in these seasons of life is is having communities that you can lean on, collaborate with, share resources with. You know, get a second, third, fourth set of eyes or opinions, and at the same time, you know, those are generally the people that look back and go, not only did I win in my business or with my investing, but you look up and you're locked in arms with a bunch of other really cool people that share common values and are willing to get in there and get their hands dirty and work as well. So communities, I just think, are one of the, you know, the best ways to accelerate your learning and your results, but also to enrich your life with just good people. Uh, hence why we're doing the the 25 for this beta group of founding members on the Wise Investor Collective. So if that's of interest to you, you want to add one commercial real estate investment in 2024. And obviously, this is a blueprint that we teach people to just buy one a year. And you do that in 25, 26, and so on. You're on that path to $250,000 in passive income. Now, all of a sudden, right? I'm using some of that money to give over to Ryan. I'm using some of that money to reinvest into properties. I'm getting net worth. And you know, balance sheet growth and equity growth. I'm getting obviously a lot of tax and depreciation advantages because of that. So if that's of interest to you, just check out wiseinvestorcollective.com and um, that'll be a way to apply. We're narrowing it down to the last nine spots in the mastermind from hundreds of applications to 25 people. So if you want to be around killers, these are handpicked people by me, um, low ego, big action takers, high investing acumen, but just don't have that commercial asset in their portfolio yet. 
those are the people in the group, investors, business owners, and you know, people that are big action takers. So, um, but let's wrap it up on this. Top 10 areas with the lowest office vacancy rates. So this is the mm. lowest office vacancy, meaning these are strong markets for office. Florida. <laughs> I was going to say, North there's not Carolina. one on the West Coast. I'll just say that. Yeah, Florida, North Carolina. Yep. So I think Florida, North Carolina, Georgia. You're killing it so far. All Tennessee? All, no, surprisingly not. Um, okay, that's those so are number three 10 that... coming in. Number 10 lowest office vacancy, Biloxi, Mississippi. Mississippi. Yeah, I was surprised by that. Asheville, North, North Carolina. I know that I'm Davenport, that Iowa. Iowa. Oh, that's insurance companies. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. South Carolina. Pensacola, Florida. Florida. This was the only one that surprised me. Olympia, Washington. Huntington, um, West Virginia, Hickory, North Carolina, Wilmington, North Carolina, and number one, Savannah, Georgia. Wow. Those are... I thought I thought you'd have Atlanta and Savannah in there. Yeah. Uh, Carolina's got lots of beer, lots of industry, lots of like they have to be in an office or a building or a space to, to make that work. And I think that a lot of those office spaces are partly industrial. Yeah. Well, and I think too, a big part of this is, you know, the... We've been talking about the work from home trends and all that kind of stuff. I did see this one to get your take. Tech companies have had a busy start to 2024. Um, we are only two weeks into the year and a dozen or so tech companies have already made layoffs. You got Discord, Google, yeah, Amazon, Prime, Citrus, Twitch, Welcome Branch, to the new year. Main, Unity, Lever, Envision, Front Desk, Xerox, BlackRock. The list goes on and on and on. Um, so less than two weeks into the new year, over 7,500 employees at the above companies were laid off. Uh, what do you think is driving these layoffs? Is it AI? Is it the season of the year? Is it anything to think about or even worry about? Nope. Seasonal. They'll rehire throughout the year. And there's also a lot of people maybe that they're getting rid of senior employees that they don't need right now to rehire uh, subordinate um, new employees that they can pay less because uh, they have less tenure. Tenure, excuse me. I love it. Well, with that being said, guys, we appreciate you tuning in today. If you have any questions, comments, shoot those in 844-447-1555. If you want to connect with Ryan and his team, that is the word X-ray to 844-447-1555. If you want to get on my credit investor list, text the word deals to that same phone number. We got all kinds of great tools and resources for you guys at millionermindcast.com to help you with your wealth building journey. And until next episode, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your march to a million and beyond. Cheers. Cheers, y'all. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of Money Moves. Be sure to tune in next week for more news and updates. And if you got some value from today's show, all we ask is that you take two minutes and leave a review in iTunes, where by doing so, you're going to get entered into win a $100 gift card. Also, don't forget to take advantage of Ryan's free financial x-ray on your investment portfolio. And to do so, all you have to do is text the word x-ray to 844-447-1555. What we have found by offering this out is most people have no idea what they're being charged from a fee perspective or really in most cases overcharged and whether or not their current investment and financial plan is actually aligned with what they're trying to accomplish. And this is something that Ryan and his amazing team do for all of our listeners for free. So be sure to take them up on that. Again, that's x-ray 
One word, 844-447-1555. Also, if you're an accredited investor and you're not on my deals list, be sure to text the word DEALS to 844-447-1555 to be notified of the private investment offerings my team and I put out. And last, don't forget to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family at MillionaireMindcast.com. Whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, mastermind events, calculators, the Rich Life Planner for those looking to take their goal setting and productivity to the next level. We've got all kinds of great and valuable tools available at MillionaireMindcast.com. With that being said, that's all for this week. Until next week's episode, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March 2 million and beyond. Cheers, my friends. Cheers.